nobody likes to fail. But actually, if you look at it another way around, if you're not failing constantly, then you're not trying hard enough. Susan Danzinger launched her first business to solve a problem, and she hasn't stopped since. From making books accessible on your commute to combating the climate crisis with Wally Farms, Susan is a serial entrepreneurista and investor with a deep drive to positively impact her community. You're about to hear the lessons she learned building her businesses, key tips for raising capital, and so much more. Coming up, You'll hear Susan describe how she built The Daily Lit, Wally Farms, and Spark at Hudson, among her many ventures. Why you shouldn't be using your inbox as a to-do list. Susan shares her experience transitioning to being an investor and her best tips for raising capital virtually in 2021. Why it is crucial to build your network before you start fundraising and her handy tips for making 30 connections a day. The importance of speaking about your business, because while ideas are a dime a dozen, execution is everything. Susan shares what her typical day looks like and how it has changed from this time last year. And finally, Susan shares why failing more should be your goal. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Susan, we are so excited to sit down with you and hear all about your incredible entrepreneurista journey because you have not only launched one successful business, you have launched so many successful businesses and we want to learn all of the secrets from you. So thank you so much for being here with us today. It's a pleasure. Yeah. To start, we would just love to hear a little bit about your background and what led you to this path of being an entrepreneurista. (laughs) Oh gosh, long story. I think it goes back way, way back, but the first real business I launched was really simply to solve a problem I had. And that was when I was taking a train into the city. I was commuting at the time, getting away from the kids and, you know, crazy household, three kids, the dog. And I never had time to read, which was a real passion of mine. And I thought, God, you know, if I could only just sit with a book. And then I thought to myself, well, what do I do every day? And I read email. And so I thought, why don't I just convert books into email? And that way in the train, while I'm reading my email, I can actually also be reading my books. And that was the the origin of one of my first businesses. Were you entrepreneurial or did you have any entrepreneurial ventures before that? Did you always consider yourself an entrepreneur? You know, I don't think I considered myself an entrepreneur. I always sort of, I liked starting things. In college, I do programming and in law school, I was, you know, involved in reinvented clubs, but I I never thought, oh, I want to grow up and to be an entrepreneur. It was never really sort of in the vocabulary, but I find it creative to start things, right? Some people like to paint, other people do write poetry, and I like to start businesses. Sounds like us for sure. We can definitely relate. So take us back. You had this idea for your first business. Yeah. And what did you do next? How did you get it going? What was the process like for you? 
Yeah. So I was very lucky because my husband is a technologist, a developer. And so we just, one weekend we were in the Adirondacks and with friends and we just kind of worked together and he coded up a first iteration of it. Super simple, nothing complicated for friends. And actually it was first ourselves and just so that I could read a book and he could read a book. And then we told some friends about it and they're like, oh, can you add this book? And so we did that for them. And then it just kind of grew organic from there. There was no grand plan. We just kind of took it one day at a time. Did you quit your job right away or did you do both at the, at the same time? Yeah, no, I definitely did not quit my job. So I left, when I left, I was at Random House for a number of years. And then when I left there, I started my own agency. First I started my own law firm and then I started my own literary agency. And then as I was kind of firing clients that I didn't like. You can always upgrade and fire clients if you get better, right? Then that's when we had the idea for Daily Lit, which was the business. And you slowly over time, as that took off, then I could like kind of scale down what I was doing at work. What was the process like of growing Daily Lit? So take us back to some of those early days. And are you still involved in the company today? I'm not. No, I, I sold that in, I guess, yeah, I guess 26. Gosh, I don't remember 2016 or earlier. I'm not even sure. Yeah, way back when. Yeah. But yeah, early days, gosh, it was me in an office. I had an intern, an intern, and then a, I guess an assistant who worked with me and was just cranking out, making deals. What I did do was kind of interesting. So it was at a time when publishers didn't understand the digital realm. And I wanted to, and I needed to convince them that releasing books via email was actually a really interesting phenomenon, right? So I, I thought to myself, okay, how, how do I get publishers on board? Because I didn't really want to like just call every publisher I knew because I didn't know many, first of all. <laughs> so I decided to start something called Publishing Point. And what it was, was it was a simple meetup, right? There's a, the platform meetup where once a month, what I did was I invited a publisher, somebody who I eventually wanted to be my customer, to become a speaker to this event. And I would invite sort of other people in publishing who wanted to learn about sort of the digital realm or what was new and what was coming. So it was a way for me to gain potential customers and a way for me to kind of just elevate my profile within the industry. So that was, that was my early days there of trying to kind of get customers and it worked. What was one of your biggest learning lessons in those first few years? I think it was, you know, the expression to be a lighthouse. So the, the idea is that you, rather than going sort of individually to, to potential customers, right? What you do is you yourself create a profile. In that case, it was publishing point or whatever. And, and you attract people to you from what you do, right? So it was a way, it was, it was an easy way to be able to, to expand your reach, and I did that from with Publishing Point, also by writing articles or social media. And so that just people would become attracted to you. And I guess it was it was a much easier way <laughs> I was trying to figure out how do I not like, you know, just have to, yeah, it just a much easier way to reach a lot of people. Yeah, it's definitely such a good tip and tactic. And something we talk to founders about all the time is always positioning yourselves as thought leaders within the industry. And people really like to do business with people that they genuinely like, that they trust. So it's always important to, to be working on your personal brand. So definitely, definitely a really great tip, Susan. 
So tell us a little bit more about some of the other companies that you have gone on to start. And then now I know you're also focused on investing in other businesses as well. So I'd love to learn more about that. Sure. Yeah. So let's see the ones. Well, most recently, actually, I'm right. I'm calling from Wally Farms and that is focused on the climate crisis. And so we're building a whole world here in which sort of an experimental hub for the climate. So it's all or as much electric as we can. We have our own solar array, our own grid. We're getting containers where we can grow food. So we're creating a whole world here, you know, to sort of prove to people that you don't need to use the farm itself to grow food, the fields that you can use, you can grow food in containers and the fields can be used to capture carbon and to help the, help the climate. So that's one initiative we're working on now. And another is the Spark of Hudson, which is a community learning center that we're launching in uh, the city of Hudson, New York. Yeah. So lots of different programs and things that are coming out of that. Will that be an in-person learning center or will things continue to be remote now? It will be in person, although, of course, virtually, you know, we've started with and I can always imagine that there's going to be some virtual element. We're trying, you know, the idea is to reinvent education and part of reinventing education is, of course, in the in the digital sphere as well. How do you decide how to spend your time and what to focus on when you're involved in so many different projects? That's a great question. Somebody told me once, like, don't don't use your inbox as your to-do list, right? Which is so easy to do, right? The, lot, the, the people who are screaming the most is the ones like, you know, you have to respond to. I guess I do, I, I have spreadsheets, you know, where I keep track of different projects and I have weekly meetings with folks who are work, who are sort of responsible for different projects. And, and so depending on which fires need to be put out, you know, always trying to leave time to think in the future as well. As entrepreneurs, we have to wear so many different hats. Is there a particular function or hat that you prefer to wear these days? So are you more focused on the finance side, creative product development? Yeah, that's a great question. And I guess for me, the most fun that I like to work on is really kind of the community aspect. It's community within within the worlds that I'm building. So with respect to the, the learning center, it would be the folks that are leading projects, but also the community that we're serving. And, and then also community outside of it, right? So other entrepreneurs that I assemble. So I, I run salons and gatherings for them. And so I really enjoy both helping them. And also, as you, as you mentioned, Stephanie, I'm also an investor. So it's also a way for me to connect with people and potentially invest in the, the businesses that they founded. Yeah, and I'll share, we actually connected through the Cornell Entrepreneur Network that we're both involved in. So I can definitely attest to your involvement, helping so many women entrepreneurs and really guiding the way for them. So I'm so, so glad we connected through, through that network. It's been a wonderful, wonderful platform. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much you're involved with that, Stephanie, but I found it together with two other women, the founders and funders, women at Cornell, and it was a way to connect, particularly with women entrepreneurs who I think are have a lot of times just as just as if not more interesting businesses than the men, the men do. And also, you know, just in terms of networking together, you know, I'm all about meeting just with women. I don't know if you found this, but 
no offense to <laughs> the fellow running the, the podcast here, but I always find when you add one man to the mix, it changes the dynamics of it, you know, and women can be so supportive of one another that just gathering with them and seeing how we can help one another is such a powerful way to lift us all up, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we we started this podcast and built this entrepreneurista community, because it is so important for us to all work together to help lift each other up and move each other forward in business and make connections. So, so definitely agree with that. I will say, you know, it's important for men and women to continue to work together to be able to have this great relationship in the business world, but there's something very special about these groups when you're able to meet with, you know, just other women who are going through very similar experiences and, and we can really help each other. So definitely agree with you there. Absolutely. And I think that that is just, even in small groups, you know, I think that's one of the the ways that I've been successful is having those groups of women to rely on for advice. You know, we have, I just actually came off a call with a group of women in Berlin that are all entrepreneurs and the way we support each other and track each other and keep each other accountable, I think is such a powerful way to really kind of keep on track. Absolutely. How do you decide what businesses to invest in? Oh, that's a great question. I think it has to do a lot with the women I meet. I like to invest in women, also underrepresented founders of both, but it really comes down to, first of all, do I, obviously, do I believe in what they're, we're working on? Is it, is it an opportunity that I tend to be attracted to opportunities that aren't, aren't necessarily obvious to others, right? That maybe at the time seems a little outside the norm. So for instance, way back when I invested, um, there's amazing woman founder, um, Gina Patazzi that founded a company around the fertility space. And that was a, a kind time. Body. Kind body. Exactly. Yeah. We, but, had, we, we, we had, had her, her on, on the podcast. podcast. Yeah. Oh, she's okay, awesome. Great. Right. But so I had originally met her when she had launched Fertility Authority, like yep. way back when, and then Progeny, and then Kind <laughs> Body. So yeah, so following her, um, you know, and you meet Gina, and right, I mean, you can't not invest in her. It's just, you know, you know, immediately that, that that's the kind of woman you wanted to invest in. And similarly, more recently, I invested in a woman from Berlin, who's in the psychedelic space, right? So these are at the time, not necessarily obvious choices for people. Cindy Gallup, you you know, make love, mm -hmm. not porn, right? Similarly. Um, so, you know, I think there's some really interesting businesses that may be perceived by others as not opportunities, but I think are, are wonderfully interesting because of it. Is there an investment that you're most proud of to date? Oh gosh, most proud of. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you one that's top of mind right now, because we recently made it so I, I'm doing a lot of work in the city of Hudson, and there was a young fellow who came to us. We had done an initiative to get hotspots for students in the area who could not afford or didn't have access to internet. Mm -hmm. And he was involved in the distribution of it, a fellow by the name of Shaheen Jesus. And he came to us and wanted to start a wireless internet service provider, WISP, which would allow for broadband access to low-income families around the city of Hudson. And young guy, 21 years old, came from, from Hudson itself and wanted to serve his neighbors and folks that don't, didn't have access to it. And so we've been working with him. We put him in business. We became the first investors. And you know, I think that's the kind of business that will really change lives, mm -hmm. uh, the people working there. And we'd love to support. You know, he's an underrepresented black founder. And I'm very excited about the prospect of 
A, him making money and B, also serving the community. That's wonderful and definitely can't wait to continue to, to watch that success story grow, grow and develop. So please keep us posted. Absolutely. The company is called Unity Now. Unity Now. Okay, we will definitely be looking at it. Up next, you'll hear Susan give her best tips for catching an investor's attention and presenting a pitch over Zoom. Susan, I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of your recommendations for our founders who are raising money right now, especially since everything has changed this past year and so many women are pitching remotely over Zoom to investors. So any tips you can share how to build connections, how to land that meeting and how to how to close that round? Hey, well, I guess first, you know, people should ask themselves and which founders rarely do, it seems, is whether they really need funding, right? It seems like there's this sort of, I don't know, Silicon Valley mentality of like, you're not successful unless you've raised, right? And you, unless you've made like venture capital, right? A lot of money. And I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, do I really need this? And if so, how much do I really need, right? A lot of women or people in general don't understand that once you take money, the game is completely changed, right? You no longer own your company. You're beholden to VCs, to their, you know, to, to them on your board. You could be ousted. I mean, there's a lot of downside to, to taking outside money. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue that, but it's, you should question whether that's something that you want to do. Um, I always recommend, you know, that people really focus on building their business and getting their customers first before thinking and worrying about raising. Because when you start to raise and you start that journey, it takes basically half your time devoted to the raising, right? So think about like hiring half of yourself or devoting half of yourself. You've got to like to make up for the time that you're losing by pursuing the investors, you have to like replace at least half of yourself, if not more. So it's yeah. it, it's a, an exhausting effort, right? So so I guess that's the first the first thing people should ask themselves is, do I really need it? Am I at the stage where I need it? Now that said, um, I will say it's important to to start building relationships with investors and do that from day one. So don't wait until you need to actually raise to start building those relationships, right? The folks that I invest in personally are ones that I've known over time. I don't know if you know this expression you in, uh, that investors invest in lines and not dots, mm. right? And the idea is that you want to know a founder over time and really get to know them. So it's important to like, you know, meet them at the beginning and talk about, you know, meet actually on a regular basis, keep them apprised of your trajectory. And the thing is about investors, which I find it fascinating, is that they tend to be the smartest person in the room. And I'm not just saying that because I'm also married to one, <laughs> uh-huh. but if you think about it, investors have a really interesting eye view because they, they see so many different deals, right? And they see so many different, they meet with so many different entrepreneurs at all different stages, right? So they know what works and they know what doesn't work, right? And so they can give you really good advice also about your competitors or things you should watch out for. So just meeting investors from day one all the way through, I think is a really good piece of advice. Yeah, that's really, really great advice. Have you ever invested in someone who you didn't know 
over time, you were just so excited or passionate about their idea? I have actually, to, to my husband's chagrin. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I angel invest. Yeah, there was one woman who came and she, it was super exciting business. And uh, she's from Berlin and she was talking about matching folks who who have spaces with uh, musicians or people who entertain with the audiences. And mm -hmm. I just thought that was such an amazing idea. So that was pretty much like, okay, sign me up, you know? And the thing about it was the idea was interesting and she was so passionate and so excited about it. And I just, you know, one gets swept up in founders and who they are and you, you and she's the kind of person I just wanted to support. Yeah. Right. Susan, what attracted you to her? Did she reach out to you by email? How did she get that first meeting with you? Was there an amazing deck that was sent? What little tips can we learn from that first interaction? Totally. Yeah. And I, I met her through another founder that I invested in actually. So I think that's a really good tip is you always want, if possible, to get that warm intro mm -hmm. and Having a warm intro is critical, I think, to really getting to know that person and trusting that person, right? You want to always try to meet an investor through someone. And, they, you know, if you think about it, everyone has a network and knows people, right? It might be somebody that works in your building or somebody you went to school with. You know, most people at least like are two or three connections away from an investor that you may want to meet. So it's really important to, as you're meeting people, to first of all, be helpful. That's super, super key is always ask the question, how can I help? right? And build those relationships. And from those relationships come connections and come ways that you can be both helpful, but also when the time comes and you need help, it can be reciprocal. How do you manage all of your investments? How often do you keep in touch with your entrepreneurs? And is there, I guess, an, an expectation that the people that you work with have in terms of being able to have access to you? Yeah, it's a great question. I think every entrepreneur is different. You know, some I keep on speed dial who just want to, you know, who call and say, hey, can I talk to you? And I'll, you know, of course, make time and we'll, you know, have conversations whenever she needs it. Others I rarely hear from. Certain ones, they'll have big calls, um, monthly update calls, that kind of thing. So it really depends. You know, I'm, I want to be respectful of the entrepreneurs, right? And not intrusive. But if I can be helpful, I'm always happy to be. Any tips you can share, Susan, about doing pitches now or investor pitches over Zoom? I guess, let's see, I would say, you know, like in person, a lot of it has to do with your energy, right? Mm -hmm. Or how you, how excited you are about what you're what you're talking about, right? Is it genuine? Is it something? I mean, I've I've heard pitches from people, and this is again Zoom or otherwise, where you just feel like they're just not excited anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and it just, I don't know, and it might be exhaustion, which is very possible these days. And one has to be sensitive to that. And it's not an age thing because I've invested in people that are older and younger and all, you know, all different kinds of folks. But, but I think I, you know, one can feel how, you know, whether it really touches their soul. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think for, for entrepreneurs themselves, you know, a lot of times you can get caught up in your business and then and then lose why, why it's exciting to you, right? And that comes across in pitches. I think that is such a good tip. You really have to sell it and show that excitement and, and energy. That is so important. 
Were any of your businesses impacted by COVID? Well, interestingly, one of my businesses, which is a tech video tech business, Ziggio, has actually done really well as a result of it because what we do is power video on websites. And so online education, for instance, those sites were our customers, our customers. And so as they grew, the business grew. So that was that. So Ziggio did really well. The Spark of Hudson, a community learning center, um, obviously virtual. So definitely impacted. I'm very excited when we can all get to in person. The weird thing is that so Spark of Hudson really have been, we've been hiring people over the last year for it. Most of the people on my staff, I've actually never met in person, you know, which is kind of funny, right? It, and then I haven't even met them mass, like literally <laughs> I've never met them. And I was talking to one woman that I am um, in the community that I, I work a lot with and is also serves as a pilot director for our Hudson Up UBI pilot. And I pictured her as this quite short woman. And it turns out she's like 5'10", Amazon, you know, like really tall. <laughs> I would never know. So anyway, I'm very excited to meet everyone in person. Stephanie and I say this to each other all the time. It's like, we have no idea what's, what, how tall someone is, what someone is like in person. So, and we've actually hired a lot of people throughout this time too, that we've never met. Do you have any tips to share on how to hire people over Zoom? See, I have to say in terms of hiring people, again, for me, it's more the feeling of people like, do we share the same values to, you know, it's, it's less, I'm not big on like interview questions and that I just, I always like to start working together and do project based and see how well there's a fit. But yeah, I, the whole formal interview thing just never appealed to me. We actually just had the CMO of a company called Jazz HR on the podcast. It's a, the, her company is a recruiting software that we actually use at Socialite and have used for years. And it's definitely helped us with, with all of our recruiting, especially working remotely right now. So we could, we could send that, send that over to you to, to check out because it's just been a, a good solution, especially now remotely, since we can't meet everyone in person. Yeah, no, I'd love to see it. Thank you. So what's next for you? What are you most excited about that's coming up? So we've been doing this pilot in Hudson that is the first small city UBI pilot. I don't know if you're familiar with universal basic income, but what we've been doing is there are 25 participants each receiving $500 a month for a period of five years. And we're hoping that it will help transform this community or the city of Hudson. And I'm super excited about that. We just launched this fall and now the first stats are coming out or the first stories are coming out, how indeed lives are being transformed. And I find that super exciting and, and hopeful. Is there something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out as an entrepreneur? Well, I'll tell, let me share, let me share something something that I've cultivated over the years that have been really helpful. And I guess had I known this day one would have been helpful, which is what I call the magic number 30. And the way it works is that every day I need to write down 30 points of contact that I made. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but at times one can spend days and weeks just focusing on your product and not like looking up and actually making those contacts and getting customers and partners, whatever. Right. And that was my, that was my problem when I was beginning. And so what I, I set this goal of 30 points of contact 
And what I would need to do is I would need to reach out to 30. I, it wasn't necessarily 30 people. It was just, it could be 15 people, but let's say I would do a call with someone and then I would do a follow-up note. That would be two, or it might be, I would have a salon, in which case I could have all 30 at one time. But what it, what it allowed me to do, I would literally write down like one to 30. And then sometimes I would be awake at night at number 25. I was like, oh, okay, five more to go. Mm-hmm. And, and what it did was it allowed me after one week, if it were just weekdays, to have 150 contacts. And after one month, it would be, if my math is correct, like 600 contacts, right? And from there, I was able to build my customer base, my partners, you know, and it was, you know, it's a way to supercharge your business, basically. How did you learn that? Was that, did you read that somewhere or is that one of your own things that you came up with? I think I pretty much came up with it by myself. Yeah. And I've, and luckily it's funny because I, I wrote about it at one point and then people are still coming up to me or still saying, oh, you know, I read about the 30 point, you know, magic number 30. And it's so nice that it resonates with others because it's, it's kind of like I gamify that idea of networking and building contacts. Do you still do that every single day? <laughs> not every single day, but I do try to get close to it. And when I realize that I'm not making enough context, that I come back to that. Yeah. But it was a way to really like supercharge a lot of my, the work I did. For many, many years, I keep journals and literally write to one to 30. Well, there's definitely nothing like the power of networking and community. It's just so important. And it goes back to what you were sharing before in terms of fundraising, you know, making contacts, asking for introductions to, to other people and really building your network because that is what, what helps all of our businesses grow for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. For a lot of entrepreneurs or even people thinking about starting their own business, for a lot of people, they just don't know where to start. And I think that this gives something tangible for them to do to jumpstart their businesses when they don't even know where to start. It's just start going out and talking about it, making connections, talking to people and and see where that takes you. So, so, you know, it's funny because sometimes you talk to people and they're like, you know, they say, oh, I can't talk about it. It's a secret. You know, I, 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 I'm thinking, no, no, don't, you know, you have to talk about it because by talking about it, you're going to learn so much. You're going to get those introductions. You have to like shout it, but like, well, what if somebody takes the idea? Like, Ideas are dime a dozen. It's all about execution. And people can be incredibly helpful if you let them, right? Courtney and I say this all the time, like shout it from the rooftops and get that feedback because like you said, execution in business is absolutely everything. Coming up, Susan gives her solution to avoid Zoom fatigue and we can't wait to try it out. All right, Susan, this is a fun new segment that we're doing that we didn't tell you about ahead of time. We're going to do a few rapid fire questions. So answer with one or two words. The first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Describe yourself in three words. Ooh, okay. Energetic, a community minded and warm. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? I would learn how to... I was going to say code, but I really don't want to code. <laughs> How about gardening? Oh, that's that. good. What is your most used emoji when you send a text? It's either the one with like wide eye. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Maybe that's probably it. That's so funny. What app do you use on your phone the most? 
you not see. live without. So we take hikes every morning. I live, I'm at the farm here and it's, I think it's dark sky to figure out. Should we, and we go yes. like, whether we go, when it's snowing, when it's raining, when it's sunny, doesn't matter. But I just have to know what I'm supposed to be wearing before mm-hmm. I take the hike. So wait, which app is that? Oh, it's called Dark Sky. Dark, dark Sky. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Do you have a hidden talent? I'm a pretty awesome ping pong player. Ooh, <laughs> I used to play back in the day. I wish we were in person. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Hmm. Let's see if I could have a superpower. I was going to say invisibility, but I think, you know, uh, because we're at the farm, I think it would be the flight, you know, and being able to travel anywhere at any time without having to wear a mask. (laughs) You know, it's so interesting. So we've asked this question a few times now, and I think it's a trend with entrepreneurs. We all want to be able to get places faster. So the last few people have all said being able to teleport and do that. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) We're all, we're, you know, we're all trying to just get places quickly and be in two places at once. So I think it's a theme. I'm going to keep, we're going to keep asking this. (laughs) That's fun. All right. That's a regular programming here. So (laughs) would love to hear a little bit about what a typical day for you looks like. Yeah. So a typical day, well, it would be getting up and taking a hike every morning. It's amazing to start the day just with the 45 minutes. We do a loop around the property here, come back, do exercise here at the, at the farm. We have a mirror, you know, one of those, it's like a Peloton. Yeah, that's been pretty fun. So try to do that breakfast and then get to work and calls and just connecting with people virtually these days. And then sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's mainly just being, and then I, I tend to actually take walks also on calls. So if I don't, if I know the person, then I try to do everything via phone so that I can walk and talk. And if I'm meeting for the first time, I'll do it on Zoom. That's such a great tip. I was going to ask you any tips for avoiding Zoom fatigue, but I think that that's the one, right? (laughs) That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Was this your routine because of COVID or, or were you always taking hikes in the morning? Oh yeah, definitely new. Yeah. We moved up to the farm from the city. So yeah, definitely very different, but you know, I, I always think that, I mean, first of all, you know, my heart goes out to families and people whose health have been affected. And, and I, I personally know people with little tragedies, but that said, you know, I think COVID can be a real opportunity for people to reinvent themselves and invent their lives. And I know people who have, you know, obviously changed their businesses, whether virtual, but also generally taking stock as far as what they're doing in life. And for us, we moved up to the farm. Uh, we gotten to know this place amazingly well to really build it out. I've spent most of the last nine months actually literally building trails on the property here. And the amazing thing about, you know, meaning through the forest, like marking trails, like with whether it's leaf blowers or rakes or whatever. And there's an amazing sense of satisfaction when you're, when you're creating a trail, because you can literally see how much you've achieved. Whereas in business, sometimes you don't see that, right? Whereas trails, like at the end of the day, you're like, oh, you know, (laughs) look how much I've done. That's so interesting. I want to see, do you put any of this on Instagram or Instagram stories? I want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) I need to do a better job of it. I'm starting to be a little better, but I need to do more. Well, definitely when we release this episode, we'd love for you to make a little video so we could visualize what you're, what you're sharing for sure. That's great. It sounds like at this point in your career, you have really great work-life balance. Was that always the case? And, and what are some tips on achieving that? 
think I've usually tried to be, to sort of integrate play and work. I mean, for me, it was never a strict, like, oh, this is work time and this is play time. You know, I had three kids and now they're all in college, but actually they were all homeschooled before that. And so I had the business and then I wasn't homeschooling them ourselves, but, you know, there was managing their time and managing, you know, my work and managing the dog and everything. So it seems like at every spare moment, I could do my own work when I was not with the kids and when I was not with the dog. So it all, you know, I'm not sure what balance is. It was all kind of mushed together. (laughs) I would love to talk to you separately one day about your decision to homeschool because I'm considering that for my daughter. I would love to hear hear your experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's interesting because at the time, you know, people would use that horror emoji in real life. <laughs> like you're saying, what? <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> but you know, for our kids, it was a way for them to each establish what they're passionate about in mm-hmm. life. And we really gave them the freedom to do that. I always like to say, like, you know, how you know how when you graduate from college, you have have this kind of reckoning as far as what you want to do. Yeah. Well, we kind of made move that earlier for them. So as they were going through high school, they could really test out what is it that they were interested in. And they kind of went, had them go through and explore the thing. So now in college, they can really pursue what it is they found they love to do. That's, That's wonderful. So- I definitely would love to, to chat with you offline about all of that for sure. Absolutely. Do you have any favorite mantras or quotes that you live by? Oh, let's see. So one thing that I think is something that I've tried to do, <laughs> it sounds kind of funny, but you know, there's this idea of failure being like the worst possible thing imaginable, right? Nobody likes to fail. But actually, if you look at it another way around, if you're not failing constantly, then you're not trying hard enough, right? And so think about applying for an award, right? You're like, oh, I'll never get that, right? Well, you always want to have, like, you want to tick off the number of failures you have. Like, what are the awards that you're going for and not getting? Like, if you're getting everything, then you're not shooting for bigger awards, right? Or being featured in articles or of getting customers. You know, I couldn't possibly get X, Y, and Z customers. Well, if you're, again, getting rejected, then that's that's a good thing because that means you're shooting for things, right? So, so you always have to think about, like, you know, fail, you know, failing more, right. Than necessarily succeeding. So I, I just wrote that down. So I never forget that if you're not failing constantly, you're not trying hard enough. I am saving that one. I'm, I'm putting it as a, a post-it on my computer. Thank you for sharing that. That is such a great way to look at things. Yeah. Do you have any tips on what people can do to just get comfortable with the idea of, of failing? Hmm. I think if you look at it like a success, like that, you know, I think that that, if you just change your mindset and kind of get over yourself, I mean, I, I failed at a number of businesses and it was actually turned out to be an opportunity to be able to do the next thing. Right. It's so interesting that I think people identify the businesses with themselves, right. The business equals yourself. And if that business doesn't succeed, that means I didn't succeed personally. Right. And to separate that out and to say, you know what, what I'm doing for my business, whether that works or not, is not a reflection on who I am. It's really, and if I move and I close that and I do something else, that's okay, right? So maybe that separation could be helpful. 
When business of you, businesses of yours, when you say they've failed, is that because, you know, they just weren't generating enough revenue and you're like, oh, my time's better spent doing something else. It's going to be too much to continue to drive this. Like, how did you determine like when to close up shop and move on to something else? Right. That's a great question. So one in particular, it was less of a failure as it was there was a bigger opportunity. So this was the company Ziggio, but we were originally a B2C business. It was where people could open up private screening rooms for themselves, right? And what we realized is there's a lot of technology that we had to build for people to record themselves on video. And I mean, that took like almost a year to develop that technology. And then at the time there were other competitors that started coming to the marketplace. And so at the, we had to decide, like, do we close that and really launch a new business with that, like basically have that technology be the heart of our business. And that meant basically the last 18 months of building that B2C brand, we just closed down. Right. So that was a real, like, we we're like, oh, like, how could we possibly like, basically that like those 18 months will be like washed away, right? If we go in this new direction, which is incredibly painful. But then there was this new thing that might, you know, where there was a bigger opportunity. And the amazing thing is once we made that decision, those competitors were actually became our customers. So it was a way for us to like, let go of it. It was sunk cost move on and take, you know, take advantage of a new opportunity. How long did it take to make that decision? Like, what was that process like? Oh gosh, I I remember a a grueling, we were in the office, it was the three of us with the the prime investor and, and it was just like laying, so it was pretty quickly made, but it was excruciating, (laughs) you know, but you know, we just like realized we just kind of laid it all out as like, this is the way to go. And we just kind of ran with it. And never look back. What are you grateful for each day? Well, these days, my health, my family's health, right? Grateful that we have this farm that we can go to. Grateful that I'm in a position where I can support and invest in other entrepreneurs, particularly women, underrepresented founders, where I can dedicate my time to social causes, to inequalities, to social injustices, and um, really focus on the work that I want to be working on, right? Yeah, that's so important. Finally, Susan, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? So being an entrepreneurista, good question. I think being an entrepreneurista is inventing a world that we want to live in, right? We have such opportunities to to design worlds and, and objects and services and systems that are unlike any that are out there. Like we have a particular lens as women, assuming entrepreneurs is feminine, right? That men, particularly white men in the past have not shared. And so it's our time to be able to to create the world that that, that we wanna live in. It also means responsibility, responsibility to help each other, to, if we've made it, to invest in one another. There's a great expression that, if you can afford to buy a Birkin bag, then you should be investing in women. Mm. And I think that, you know, being an entrepreneur, there is that responsibility that we all have, even if not financially, just being able to make those introductions Mm. to be able to, to support one another. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we're launching a membership community for entrepreneurs to be able to have community and support to be able to connect with them with one another. So we're so excited to have you as part of our entrepreneurs community. And thank you so much for all of the lessons and tips that you have shared. They have been so helpful and I know are going to be instrumental to the success of so many entrepreneurs who are listening. So thank you, Susan, for sharing your story and journey. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And connect with you. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Susan Danziger. So yeah, happy for people to, to connect and you know, how can I help them is the question that well, I think we should all ask one another. And I want to thank you all for creating, you know, this platform. You know, it's wonderful to see you supporting women the way you do and making the connections that you are. So really appreciate that the work you do. Thank you, Susan. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.